Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. Morning. How you doing? Good to see you. So we're starting a new series today called Been There. Been there today and had baptism after the second service, so help me remember if I forget. So today we're going to talk about stop controlling that, how we need to let control of some things. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We're basing this series on this passage of scripture where Jesus has already been there, done that. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So, how many of you might admit, just a little bit, that you're a teeny bit controlling? Anybody? Some of you, your spouse really wants to raise your hand, but they're afraid of you. They won't do it. Think about uh, what you try to control the most. Maybe you, maybe you might, con- there's one right there that doesn't want to admit it. Uh, uh, that you might try to control the most. Uh, your schedule, and maybe being in control of your schedule is very important. That was a battle that Tina and I uh, had early in our marriage and you know, have continued at times. I came from a very spontaneous family that never really planned anything. And Tina's, Tina came from, I don't know what had to do with her family at all, but anyway, she is very much a planner, plans everything. She always has a plan. Every moment of the day is planned. And it's the, the struggle that we've had is that she felt like it was, uh, that she was being disrespectful if she told me the plan. In other words, like she wasn't honoring me that she wanted me to be, you know, she wanted me to be the head of the house. She just wanted to be in charge of the head. So <laughs> anyway, so it was just, well, so, you know, just normal stuff, right? I mean, we're all different and we're, so we have those challenges. Uh, it might be your money, how you deal with money. So it's, in that, it's funny how, I, so I grew up very spontaneous, you know, hey, let's, hey, you want to go to the movies right now? We want to do stuff. My family drove us crazy, drove Tina crazy because they would call and say, we're thinking about, they lived in Abilene, we're thinking about visiting on the weekend. And Tina's like, are they coming or not? I said, we'll, we'll see. Who knows? <laughs> it's just Tuesday. I mean, they've got all kinds of time to make, make plan. And so they would show up Friday night, and they never called. You know, this was back in the days when you didn't have a cell phone. Uh, they, they would just show up. And it was like, Tina's like, huh. It's like, it was so hard for her. So it's amazing that a planner marries someone that's spontaneous. But we do that got, because we, we recognize, if you're a planner, you recognize that you're missing out on something in the person that's spontaneous, and the person who's spontaneous recognizes, man, it'd be nice to have a little order in the chaos. Uh, and same thing with money. You, you often, often a saver marries a spender. 
I don't know if that's the spender or the saver that's going. Usually the savers are like, ugh. <laughs> the savers are like, yeah, party. Um, for, for some of you, it's, it's, you're trying to control people. And that's, you know, crazy. It's tra- you know, that's like, you know, trying to herd cats. Uh, you, we try to control our kids and, you know, as best we can to direct them where we feel like it's good for them to go. Uh, we try to control our spouse. Uh, we try to control our friends. Or maybe you're trying to <laughs> control employees. Uh, one of the things that's big today, people are trying to control people's opinion of them. So much of social media is about, it's kind of a personal PR campaign. It's like a personal, you know, marketing firm that's going to put forth your best image. And so, you know, you see you get these, uh, you know, these posts where, where women talk about, my husband's the most wonderful husband in the world. He does this and he does this and he does that. And you read and you go, I don't buy that at all. And you think, I, I'm, there was one person who always had those kind of posts, and I always wondered, is he posting those himself? <laughs> it's like, you know, so some of you are like TikToking yourselves around the clock, you know, where you're, you're, just, you're just trying to present this image that's, that's put out there, and it's just a reality today. Uh, and some of you have your environment uh, is... You're trying to control your environment, your, your place, your, your house. The, everything is so important. Uh, I had a secretary one time who always kept her de- desk just with immaculate. I wondered if she's actually working uh, with a stapler and, you know, a little thing for some pens and pencils and, and tape. And she always kept those in very particular places on the desk. Well, once we discovered that, we couldn't leave them alone. <laughs> so you would just walk by and she eventually glued them to her desk. <laughs> she so wanted everything to stay. Uh, I think that's why she didn't last very long. Anyway, the need to control often shows some area of, of vulnerability. What you attempt to control the most often reveals where you trust God. The less we trust God, the more we try to control, and the more we are afraid of losing control. The more we're afraid, the more we try to control, and the less we trust God. So it kind of becomes this, we don't trust God, so we're trying to control things. Since we don't control things, we don't trust God. And so we, it just kind of can spiral out of control. So that's what this series is about. We're looking at how Jesus helps us with this stuff and what Jesus has been there and he's done that. So how does Jesus help us deal with control? So in Matthew 26, this is just after the Last Supper. This is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed before his crucifixion uh, the next day. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane, which was a garden area. And said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there to pray. So Jesus knows that he's going to be betrayed. He's already, he just told the other disciples, I'm going to be betrayed. He knows that. He knows uh, that what's going to happen, he's going to be crucified the next day. This is the most difficult day of his life. It's, it's, it's going to unfold. He will, from this moment on, it will be just a fairly rapid march 
to his crucifixion. So he says, guys, hey, I want you to sit here and stay here with me. Stay awake. I'm going to go and pray. And uh, basically he said, hey, I'm going to pray. And I think a lot of times we see this. We struggle with this. If you ever hear people say, well, all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray. Uh, which is, in a sense, it's our way of saying, I've tried it all on my own and nothing worked. So now my only hope is that God will do something. So it didn't work, so I guess I'll have to ask God for help. And really, Jesus didn't operate that way. Jesus didn't pray as a last resort. He prayed as a first resort. (laughs) He prayed beforehand. He prayed in the middle of. (laughs) He prayed after. I mean, Jesus just prayed about everything. And so he's praying about this crisis is coming. Now, this is a last resort. He's already prayed about this. He's now, he's praying really in the midst of it to prepare himself. So he took with him, verse 37 says, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, Jesus knew exactly what was coming in the next couple of hours because he and the Father had planned it together before the foundation of the world. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. He just told his disciples. He knew that Jesus was selling him out. He knew that all the rest of the disciples would flee in fear. He knew he was going to be crucified and a crucifixion was a horrible way to die. The Romans had perfected it. He'd taken what the, the Persians used as a way of execution, and they had, they had made it as excruciating as possible. The role of the Romans was to prolong the agony and the death as long as possible. They wanted criminals, the enemies of the state. They wanted them to be on display. They wanted them to be humiliated. Jesus hung on the cross naked. And and by the time he got to the cross, he had been beaten to a bloody pulp. And then he was nailed to the cross. And it was really just a way to suffocate someone very slowly. Jesus knew that the crucifixion was horrible, but, but really for Jesus, the crucifixion, as horrible it was, was the least of it. And Jesus was, as he's praying, he's in grief because what Jesus is going to experience for us is already beginning. It doesn't just start on the cross. Jesus' sacrifice for us is beginning at this point. Of course, he lived a sinless life that we couldn't live on our behalf. But now he's going to die for us, and this dying is beginning in this garden. He's in great agony. He's in great grief as he's praying. He begins to feel the weight of sin. The Bible tells us that he carried all of our sin in his body on the cross, that Jesus is already beginning to feel. Can you, ima- can you imagine feeling the responsibility, the weight, the horror of, of the sins of mankind upon you? It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And he's beginning to feel 
the bands of death. He's, he's, beginning, he's going to die. Jesus came in human form so that he could die for us. The Bible says that Jesus for us tasted death for every man. Jesus died your death on the cross. And so he tasted death for every man. He's beginning to feel that. But even more than that, what he's beginning to feel more than anything else is the separation from his father. God has brought him to this point so that he can be the sacrifice for the world. And he's going to bear the sin. And he's going to bear the death. And he's going to bear the punishment for every one who ever lived and ever will live, Jesus was taking it upon himself. And there was going to be a moment on the cross that Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because in that moment, as he's carrying our sin, our death, our punishment, the Father is going to allow him to die on our behalf. And he can, he's, Jesus and the Father have never had any degree of the minutest degree of disagreement or separation, they're, they're one. He said, I and the Father are one. There's no separation. And yet in that moment, there's going to be this, this purposeful separation created by God so that Jesus can die on our behalf. And he's feeling that. He's feeling the agony of that. And, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. I mean, here he is in his, the darkest day of his life. And he's asked his disciples, hey guys, could you watch and pray? Could you stay here for a little bit? And he comes out and they're sleeping. He says, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. You had one job and you blew it. Matthew 26, and he went away again a second time and prayed saying, Father, this cannot pass away unless I drink it. Your will be done. With absolute certainty, Jesus trusted his father. And Jesus chose surrender over control. You see, everything in culture, everything about us, I mean, the, the way we do life in America, it's all about control. It's not the cultural norm. Everything teaches us, take control, be in charge, make it happen. You control your destiny. And we, we are responsible for a lot of things, but we don't always have the power to control, but we always have the power to surrender. And Jesus chose to surrender. He could have, he could have taken control. He said, don't you know I could have called, my, I just asked my father, he'd give me legions of angels. We could stop this right now. He could have chosen control, but he, he chose instead of control, he chose surrender. Would you rather have your will or God's will? When you, you know, you can ask a Christian, you can say, I want what God wants. You sure about that? Really? We, I found that we tend to want what he wants until it's different than what we want. We want what he wants until it's different than what we want. You know, you know if maybe you're young, when you were young, you were Christian, you were young, you're saying, God, uh, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just don't make me, make me marry an unattractive person. Tina lost that prayer. 
God made her anyway. <clears throat> or this kinds of prayer. God, I'll, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything you want me to do. Just don't make me a missionary to Africa. You know, kind of some bargaining prayers with God. So what we're saying is, God, I want what you want until it interferes with what I want. Most of us want to believe that if we trust God with our lives, then, then what we'll have is a happy, healthy, comfortable, trouble-free life. So Jesus trusted God with his life. What did he get? He got death. See, here's what the Bible really tells us about this. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus came that we might have abundant life. Jesus invites us to abundant life. He invites us and gives us the gift of eternal life. He invites us to, into the best life possible in the will of God. The best life possible in the will of God is not always the easiest life, just as the best life possible. Jesus was in the will of God, surrendered into the will of God. It was not the easiest life. It was just the best life. John 16, 33, then on the other hand, so Jesus says, you know, I want to give you abundant life. He said, but also on the other hand, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. Some translations say trouble. In the world you will have trouble. So Jesus doesn't invite us to a life of comfort and ease, but to a life of surrender, like he did. To the will of God for our lives. What Jesus did in that moment is that Jesus laid down entitlement and he took up responsibility. Philippians 2 verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus joyfully surrendered to the will of God for his life, and that led to death. He laid down his entitlement, what he was entitled to. For him, it wasn't a sense of entitlement. It was real entitlement, <laughs> And he laid it down to God. He surrendered it for God's will. And he became a servant. And he took the attitude of servant. If you're angry with God, it's because you believe that he took away something that you believe he owed you. Did you get that? If you're angry with God, it's because you believe he took away something from you that you believe he owed you. Anybody here ever been angry at God? So, so I was kind of, my dad's been gone now 20 years. Uh, my dad died when he was 76. I thought that was old. It's getting real, a lot younger. Uh, <laughs> all the time. Uh, <laughs> day by day. So, I, you know, my dad had lived, a, he was a good man. He was a godly man. He lived a good life. You know, he didn't smoke, drink, or chew, or run around with girls that do. Uh, 
he was, uh, you know, but he loved the Lord and uh, he, he was a loving father. He was a good father and he, he died at 76. Uh, I felt like it was pretty early and I was a little mad at God because I look at people like, you know, Willie Nelson. I was like, I mean, what is he, 150? He's just been held together by all the pot he smoked in life. It's just like, I think if they ever undid the braid on his hair, that's, he's gone. He's a goner. That happens. That's, that's the only thing he's holding together. You know, it's not rational. It's not rational. I'm saying it's irrational, but I was just angry at God that my, my dad died, and I felt like I, I wanted more time, but it wasn't enough time. And, uh, and so I struggled with that for a while until I realized that, that I was feeling like God owed me something. I was angry because I felt like God owed me. If you'll, if you'll examine if you're angry with God about something, it's because you feel like God owed you more time. He owed you something that you didn't feel like you were getting. And so when you let that go, when you let go of that entitlement, that sense of entitlement, then and you're appreciative for what you have. So the way you overcome the sense of entitlement is that you have to be thankful for what you had not angry for what you don't have. So what I was angry because I, had, I didn't have enough time with my dad, although I had 76 really good years. I didn't have, some of you did, but see, a, a lot of people don't have any time with their dad. Tina's dad died when, at 67. I mean, some people don't even know who their dad is. There's all kinds of scenarios. And so, you, so, so what I, I began to realize that if you want to overcome when you're, what you're mad about with God is you have, to be, you have to be thankful for what you had. Focus on what you have, not on what you've lost. Because it's hard to be grateful and depressed at the same time. It's hard to be grateful and angry at the same time. And so... I wasn't entitled to it. When I realized I'm not entitled to it, every day that I have, you know, every day you get is a grace. So I've got, you know, a little physical, you know, I'm 68, so I've got a few physical things going on, you know. I've got blood cancer and some things happening, you know. So, you know, I can say, well, you know, you know, do you know I've been a pastor of full-time, I put up with people in full-time ministry <laughs> for 48 years. So for 48 years, so I could, you know, I could say to God, God, hey, hey, haven't I suffered enough? <laughs> haven't I suffered enough? As if God owed me something. I will tell you, it's not a debt that God owes me. It's a privilege to me. It's a privilege that God allowed me to do this. It's a privilege. It's an opportunity. And so I can either say, oh, I'm mad at God because, because this shouldn't happen to me. God, I've served you for 48 years. God doesn't owe me anything. But he's, he's lavished his goodness and his grace upon me. He's lavished his love upon me. It's been glorious. So the way you turn around that entitlement mentality is you have to think about how thankful for you for what you have. See, Jesus was obedient to the greatest extent possible. He did not confuse responsibility with control. He obeyed. He was responsible. He obeyed. He obeyed God's will for his life. There's no true surrender without obedience. 
Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. This is one of those great verses that we like. It's a good refrigerator verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. There's no such thing as a partial surrender. You're not 87.5% surrendered. Or 99 and 44 100% surrender. Surrender is surrender, right? It's all. It's all of you. So, so when you say, I'm going to trust God with some things, it's not just trust God with some things, it's trust God with all things. Some of you trust God to get you to heaven, but you don't trust him enough to do what he says. That doesn't even make sense, right? I mean, I believe that God has the power to save me eternally, but I don't think he has the right to tell me how to live my sex life. I mean, he's God and he has the ability to save me, but yet I'm going to question how I should do my finances in a way that honors him or live my life in a... So it's crazy that we'd say we're surrendered, but yet we're surrendered at at the highest level this area of eternal salvation that God's going to take us to heaven. He's going to keep us, not, you know, not till tomorrow at 3 o'clock, but for, forever. So it's, it's total surrender. He says, in all your ways, in all your ways, in all your ways. The Hebrew word is yada. It means to know him. We, in all your ways, acknowledge him, to know him. Because when you know him, you, you're going to trust him. What are you trying to control that God wants you to surrender. There are a lot of things that we're responsible for, but you have to be responsible in your finances. You have to pay your electric bill. We're going to turn off your electricity. Uh, I got my water turned off this month. It's the first time it's ever happened. And I've been in this house 27 years and uh, got my water turned off. My de- my debit card got compromised, and so I changed debit cards, and that was on auto pay with the Forney Water Department, and it has been for years. And so, twelve days after the payment was due, they turned my water off. I was like, I called them like I was like I was like a minute from past, so I had to pay the extra fifty dollars to get. I was a minute past five o'clock. So I had to also pay the extra $50 to get it turned back on. But I, I, but yet, you know what? It was my fault. I had to do it. So, you know, if you're spending too much, there's only you can cut your expenses. Uh, people, you can't change your spouse. It was a dangerous amen. <laughs> it was a single person that said that, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, you know. You, but God can. You can't. You can't control your adult children any more than you can control them when they were teenagers. It's kind of the same. Uh, and also, your adult children can't control your adult parents. <laughs> and sometimes we like to do that. 
You can't control the future. But we know the God who knows the future. You don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 10, 39. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Matthew 10, 39. Here's what I've learned. Surrender for me, it's not a one-time decision. It's a daily choice. And I, I remember... I remember the night that I went forward at a church and gave my life to Christ. That I, and it was for me a surrender. I felt like God had chased me down. I don't, know how, I don't know how your conversion story went, but for me it was like God was chasing me. I was running as fast as I could. And I was just getting slower and slower. I couldn't get away. I was just just trying to, trying to get away as fast as I could. And, and that night in that little church at Hillview Terrace, Dallas, went down to the front and surrendered my life to Christ. Really, it happened before. I, there was a guy preaching, but Jesus had already done the work in my life. But I, I, I couldn't wait. I said, when's this guy going to shut up? I know that's what some of y'all are thinking right now. And... Uh, and, and I just surrendered my life to Christ. But you know what? For me, it, 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 was, it hasn't been a one-time shot. I'm, I have, I'm continually surrendering my life to Christ because I keep trying to keep, t- take control again. And so I'm, I'm saying, I want it back. I want it back. So I'm learning to surrender all the time. You know, raising your hands is a universal sign of surrender. So we're going to stand. I want you to go ahead and stand. And we're, going to, we're going to sing this song again. Uh, and here's the good news. As a believer, this is also a symbol of worship and praise. The, the Hebrew word is tada, to throw out the hands. So we're going to sing this song. And, and so, you know, don't judge anybody you're looking around. And you don't have to raise your hands this way. You might, you know, you might be new to this. So you might be raising your hands this way or, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's a surrender. But, but when we get to that point where he's saying, I'm giving it all. I'm giving it all to you, Jesus. I just want you to raise your hands. Just for him, not for me. Just give me. I'm, I'm surrendering it all. I'm giving it all. Amen. Let's sing this together. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.